The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. If you our guests or visitor, welcome. Um, I, I realize that if uh, this is your first or maybe second Sunday, maybe you're new to CTK, um, walking into this place can be uh, very daunting, right? Walking into a place where you don't know anyone, where you're not sure of maybe the songs that we sing, you're not sure should you stand or sit, should you say amen? Uh, that's okay, you can do that. Um, or uh, should I clap? Or all those sorts of things, right? We, we come with all these... Uh, things that we, that we bring from previous experiences, and, and maybe we're not sure what our experience is going to be like in this place. And so uh, I recognize that, we realize that, we understand that you uh, may feel unsure or unfamiliar. Um, it is not lost on us. And so my hope and our hope is that as you come here, whether it's your first Sunday or your hundred and first, that you would experience the hospitality of the gospel that you would know that you are welcome in this place, and, and you are. So if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Joshua. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 20. Now, if you've been with us, you realize, uh, you may notice that we have skipped a number of chapters. So last week, Tobias opened God's Word in chapter 14, and from chapter 15 through chapter 19, we have the description of the land being given out to the different tribes. So it's a section that details the land allotment. So Judah gets this portion, Reuben gets this portion, and so on. So for a few chapters, this is what occurs. And, and so it's God's word. It's important. I would encourage you later today, go and read it. But this morning, we're going to jump ahead to chapter 20, to chapter 20. Um, and when you read those land allotments, you'll probably see why we're not spending, you know, weeks preaching through those sections. But but we're looking at chapter 20 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along on the screen in just a moment. But this chapter is an interesting chapter because it's coming still in the midst of that land allotment. In fact, next, the next chapter, chapter 21, is dealing still with more uh, giving out of the land, distributing the land. And so chapter 20 takes a pause from that. It takes a pause from detailing the portions of the land, and instead it focuses our attention on the cities that would be places of protection. So we're pausing from the allotment of the land, we're pausing from conquest and battle, and what we're going to see is that there is a focus on refuge. So let's read chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give him up to the manslayer. 
give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who was high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set up part, Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirith Araba, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would meet with us now, that you would lead us and guide us. Teach us, Father, what it means to follow you and to love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I I think I can almost guarantee that every single one of us has a shared childhood experience. That whether you grew up in the mountains or on the plains, whether you grew up in the Midwest or the Southeast, whether you grew up in a booming city or a rural farming town, whether you are homeschooled or public schooled or private schooled or something in between all of those, I can guarantee, almost guarantee, that every single one of us has the shared childhood experience of playing tag, (laughs) right? We've all played it. You've played it, right? We go to the school playground, we go to the yard, and we can still see kids running around, and sometimes adults are playing with them, right? They're running around, and they're screaming their heads off, right? Who is it? And get away, and run, and flee, and all these sorts of things, right? Kids, kids, tag is fun, right? Yes, it is fun. Oh my gosh. Tag is fun. Whether you're four or 44, it is a fun game to play. And since we've all played it, I know it's not lost on you that there are two basic rules of tag. No touchbacks, right? We're not doing this back and forth, right? No touchbacks. And when you are on base, you are safe, right? Y'all remember what base is? Base is that part of the playground, that pole or that, that tree or that bench or that little kid who wants to be involved but doesn't want to run around, right? They don't ever want to be it, so their base, right? And base is that part where as long as you are touching base, you are safe. Whoever's it, they can try and get you it. They can try and tag you. They can try and touch you, but you are safe because you're on base. You're protected, Now, why am I talking about tag in the context of Joshua 20? Because Joshua 20 is describing the Israelite version of base. (laughs) Now, now it's not a tree. It's not a pole. It's it's not a person. It's not a part of the monkey bars. No, the, the Israelite version of base are these cities of refuge. These cities that offer protection and care, that whenever someone is in this city, they're protected. They find refuge. Now, of course, what's described in chapter 20 is far more serious than a game of tag, right? I mean, we see it in verses 2 through 3. 
Joshua writes, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. So you see what's happening. Here's a situation in which an Israelite is dead. He's been killed. But, but it's not murder. It was an accident. There was no ill intent. There was no premeditation. So we can imagine maybe what this would be like, right? We have kind of Joe Blow Israelite, right? Maybe his name's David or Ezra or, or Nehemiah, what, whatever his name might be, right? And he's out on, outside his home this day, and he's splitting wood. And there he is. He's just splitting wood. He's getting it ready for the fire. He's splitting wood, and he's singing to himself, right? Maybe some psalms, right? This is the uh, Israelite version of AirPods. Right? So there he is. He's splitting wood and he's singing along. And as he's singing and splitting wood, he's so focused on his task that he doesn't hear his neighbor come into the yard. And he doesn't feel his neighbor come up behind him. And then he rears back and he hits his neighbor in the head with the axe. And his neighbor dies. There was no ill intent. He didn't know his neighbor was there. Why didn't his neighbor make all kinds of... Well, he had his AirPods in. He couldn't hear him, right? But, but why? You know, there, it was an accident. He didn't try to hurt him. He didn't want to kill him. And yet, though it was an accident, there is still a threat that this, his, the blood that was shed would be avenged. That the family member of the one who, who died would, would maybe want to bring vengeance against this man who, who inadvertently killed his neighbor. And so the man flees to the city of refuge. These cities of refuge were spread throughout Israel, so you didn't have to go very far. And they would go to these cities, and, and they would present themselves at the gate. And they would explain why they were there. And then they would have to explain to the elders why they were there. And if their story was credible, they would be welcomed into the city and find refuge. That's what we see in verses 4 through 5. They shall take him into the city and give him a place. And he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand. Because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. So you see, the city is a place of refuge while he's in the city. If he leaves the city, his life is now in jeopardy. But in the city, he's protected. He's safe. He finds refuge. Do you know churches used to be a place of refuge? Dating as far back as the 600s in England, churches were sanctuary. Not the sanctuary, not a sanctuary, not, not like this room where you come and you sing and you, you pray and you dine at the Lord's table and hear God's word. It's not that kind of sanctuary. The church itself and its property, it was sanctuary. And there were laws that abided by this, that, that gave the church the authority to receive an alleged criminal. So how this looked, what the, how this played out was that someone, an alleged criminal, would present himself at the chapel and he would confess his sins and he would surrender his weapons and he would come under the supervision of the church for a period of 40 days. And during those 40 days, he was safe. He was protected. He found refuge within the walls of the church. And during those 40 days, he would 
he would decide. Would I surrender to the authorities? Would I stand trial for my alleged crimes? Would I confess my guilt? Would I go off into exile never to return? And this sanctuary was provided not just for church members, not just for Christians, but for anyone. Just like in Israel, these cities of refuge weren't just for Israelites, but they were for the sojourner, for the stranger, for the wanderer in their midst. We saw that in verse 9. That in the midst of God's people and in the midst of God's place, others would find refuge. I wonder, I wonder if the church today, if people know that the church today is a place of refuge, if that's how we would be described, that, that we don't just come to the sanctuary, but we come and find sanctuary in the midst of God's people. You know, sanctuary laws, obviously, for alleged crimes are not afforded to the church anymore, right? No one can show up on Wednesday, surrender their arms to me, confess their sins, and find safety in my office. Like, it doesn't work that way anymore. But cities of refuge, cities of refuge, they they were places of protection for those who would take matters into their own hands, from those who would take matters into their own hands, who would seek justice of their own. And and while these cities of refuge, while this sanctuary law feels very distant to us, we know what it's like today to have people who take matters into their own hands, who, who seek their justice on their own, right? I'm not talking about vigilante justice of taking another person's life, but But what about the mob of social media? Isn't that taking matters into your own hands? What about about, um, whispering in corners about things that you only know little things about, little bits about? What about words that destroy reputations and the ways that we assume the worst about others? And how we speak quickly and we're slow to listen and we shout with rage and the verbal violence that takes place. I mean, that's in our world, isn't it? Isn't that in the world in which we dwell? The cities we inhabit? The online spaces that we go? What if the church was known as a place of refuge from that? that you could come and you could find safety and protection and refuge from the mob of social media, from the whispers of gossip, from the voices of rage. It doesn't mean anything would go, right? It doesn't mean that, that you could come and, and anything that was said would be okay. No, but, but what if we were a place where people knew that they could come and they could simply ask honest questions and receive honest answers and they could find refuge? I have to tell you, that, that's the kind of place I, I wouldn't mind going to. And that's the kind of place I, I think I'd like to be a part of. And that's the kind of place that that I think God is calling the church to be. Where people can come and they can simply engage with God's word and they can hear it. 
And they can find hospitality and welcome and refuge from the voices that clamor so much around us. That's what the cities were in Israel. They were places of protection, of refuge. And in time, those who sought refuge, they found more than refuge. They found restoration. Look at verse 6. And he, that being the manslayer, he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who was high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So we hear there's a consequence, right? It was an accident, absolutely. It wasn't murder, there was no ill intent, it was an accident, but, but he's still guilty of killing this man, and so there's consequence for his action. He has to remain in the city of refuge. He, he has to leave his home, his family, his vocation. And he's going to live in this place of refuge. He's going to remain in the city until the high priest of the time dies. Okay, now what's going on here? The high priest dies and he gets to leave? So some see the high priest's death as functioning as atonement for the manslayer, right? And, and um, you know, it, it's, it's, it would be a very nice way to move <laughs> as Christians, right? As, as one, uh, homiletically speaking, it would be a wonderful way to, to kind of move us to Jesus right there. But that's actually not what I think is going on. I don't think the high priest actually is atoning for the sin of the manslayer, for his guilt, because there's no other time in Scripture where the high priest of the Old Testament ever, by his own life, atones for another. No, he offers sacrifices, bulls and rams for atonement. Instead, what I think is going on here is that the high priest is functioning as the representative of Israel. He represents the nation as a whole. And we actually see the high priest do this in other places, like in Leviticus chapter 16, where he actually stands before God and he does make atonement through sacrifice for the sins of the people, but he's standing as a representation to God of the nation. And I think that's what's occurring. So that when he dies, his death symbolically terminates the guilt of the manslayer. And so with the death of the high priest, the man who was guilty of an accident but innocent of murder, he is restored. He's restored. Did you see it? He can safely leave his city of refuge. He can return home. He can return to his family. He can return to where he once fled from. He need not fear retribution. He's restored. And y'all, this kind of restoration... And this sort of refuge, this is exactly what we need. We too need res restoring. We too need restoring, and we find it not by running to a city or even to a sanctuary, but we find refuge and restoration by running to Christ. Right? He is our refuge and strength. He is our very present help in trouble. What's amazing is that the refuge that Jesus provides is far greater than what the cities could give, right? The cities provide refuge for those innocent of murder, but Jesus provides refuge for the guilty. And y'all, that's what we are. We're those who, by our guilt, by our sin, have become guilty, 
of breaking God's law, of turning from his ways, of sinning with our thoughts and words and actions, right? I, I know none of us probably have ever killed Right? And we probably haven't stolen. And we probably haven't done all sorts of other things. But, but James tells us whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become guilty of all of it. You see, before the Lord, we are all guilty. We are all like the manslayer, except it wasn't by accident that our guilt came. We knew what we were doing. I mean, think about, I want, I want you to think about the last time that you sinned, okay? Think about the last time that you sinned. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was yesterday afternoon. You know, uh, let's be honest. It was probably this morning, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, especially if, uh, you know, maybe you like to be on time and your spouse maybe doesn't, right? And so maybe there was some sin involved in that conversation, getting out the door, right? Maybe hypothetically speaking, perhaps. But, um, but I want you to think about that last time you sinned, okay? And I want you to think about not just when you sinned, but leading up to that sin as you are thinking about it, as you are feeling your heart move towards sin, right? As you're being tempted, as, as you are thinking those thoughts that you know you shouldn't think, and you are feeling the lust fill up in your heart, and, and the anger that you are feeling as that person cut you off, right? All the things that led up to it. Now, in leading up to it, you knew it was sin, right? It's not like you gossiped or you lusted or you exploded with obscenity at that man who cut you off in traffic, and then you realize, man, I had no idea that was sin, right? Right? I mean, we know it, and we know it leading up to it, not just when we do it, and we know it leading up to it and when we do it, and we do it anyway, it wasn't an accident. We didn't stumble into it. We didn't trip. We rebelled. And we were active. And we were waging war against our king. And we are guilty. And y'all, it's for us that Jesus died. It's for those who know their guilt that Jesus gave his life. It's for those who actively and were completely aware of our sin and we did it anyway that Jesus provides restoration. And what's amazing is that he does it not through the blood of bulls or of lambs like the high priest of the Old Testament, but he does it through his blood. That he gives his life he gives his life for those who are guilty, right? In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners like me and you, right? I am guilty of the thoughts that I have thought and the things I have held in my heart and the things I have done in my, with my hands. And so too are you. And it's for that guilt that Christ, our great high priest, gave his life so that we would find refuge, that we would find restoration. That is what Christ has done. And so whatever your guilt may be, friends, hear this, whatever your guilt may be, whatever sin that you have committed, do not run to a city do not run to a room, but run to Jesus with that sin. Run to our great high priest with your guilt.
and in him find refuge. For he is our refuge, and he is the one who restores. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have given us our Lord Jesus, the one who has lived and died and risen again, the one who has given his life so that our sins would be forgiven. And so we pray that we would run to him and we would find refuge, we would find rest, we would find restoration for our souls. And so, Father, turn us from our sin and lead us to your Son, our Savior, Christ, in whose name that we pray and all God's people said together, Amen.